However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davy was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean, how great does that make Davy? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> Uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. I hope it has been a good week for you. I hope you've done a good job balancing everything in your life, something we all do. You know, you got your job, you got your family, maybe you're dealing with kids. No matter what their age is, something I know about, uh, you might have a side hustle, maybe more than one. We all find a way to do it, and I have to tell you, I am very, very grateful that somehow you find time in your very busy lives to listen to PTSM. And I've been uh, doing a lot of uh, juggling myself with my day job, or should I say my uh, very early morning job, uh, hosting a morning show out here in my city. And of course, PTSM... The Constant Pursuit of Great Guests, which we uh, do every single week. And just coming off a great conversation with Nikita Koloff. And I loved hearing all the comments from everybody out there. People very fascinated with just how serious that Nikita took his character. I mean, basically living that Russian nightmare gimmick 24-7. And uh, Nikita had some great stories to tell. And one thing I found incredibly hard to believe, and I I, I think you'd agree with me is that he never got a call from the wwe never got a a sniff nothing and i that is just amazing to me but a lot in that conversation i hope you got a chance to listen to it all if you didn't get back to it if you haven't listened to it yet don't miss it and we've got another great conversation on the way this week and i got a chance to meet up once again with one of the most legendary referees in the world of professional wrestling uh, once again, at StarCast 2 this year in Vegas. And I have been trying to get Earl Hebner on for a while, and we finally made it happen. And it was a good one. During our conversation, we talked about a lot, no no question, uh, yes, including how he was revealed to the world in his first match with the WWF. I'm sure you may remember that one. It involved his identical twin. Also, the Montreal screw job. Yeah, we got into that. But I'll tell you, with a much different take uh, on this match uh, in the WWF, uh, the Montreal Screwjob. You're going you're gonna to like hearing uh, what we had to talk about there. And also, if he would one day like to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, I think his answer just might surprise you. So, with that, let's get to it. My conversation with Earl Hebner. Ding, ding, ding. If you watch the WWF during the golden era, as we love to refer to it, the uh, late 80s, uh, the early 90s, the 90s, all the way into uh, the new uh, millennium, 
the third man you often saw in the ring is my guest this week on PTSM. Uh, during his time with the WWF WWE, he refereed some of the greatest matches of that era. It was also a time when those wearing the black and white stripes were often a part of the action. And I am very excited to welcome one of the most well-known referees in the history of professional wrestling, Earl Hebner. Earl, how are you? Thanks for coming on Primetime. Good. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, uh, I want to start this out with just a, a question that, uh, you know, I've asked a few other people that I've had uh, on who, uh, you know, were in the squared circle, uh, the third man, as they uh, like to refer to them. But what does it take to be a great referee? Well, it takes uh, years of experience to learn uh, who you're working with and where they're going and, and feeling them out and knowing what they want to do next. You memorize it. Like, like working with Rick. I worked with Rick Flair so many years that yeah. his moves and everything, he didn't have to say a word. I just knew where he was going and what he was going to do. Yeah, it's like dancing. Right, exactly. Like dancing. Yeah, and and uh, another thing is they always say, you know, one of one of the best things uh, you can do as as a referee is stay out of the way. And but that's a real art, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Especially TVs. I mean, you work if the TV if the camera's in front of you, you work the left, the right, and the back rope. And then then you have to work the hard camera rope. But then you know right. you're in the wrong spot. But do the spot and get it over with and get out of the way. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna get into all that and uh, some of the the greatest matches that you were involved in. But um, I'm always interested uh, about where it all began. Um, you know, you were born in an identical twin. Everybody knows that, along with Dave. But uh, tell me about where you guys grew up and and uh, what that early life for you guys was like. You mean before wrestling? Or yeah, I mean growing up as kids, as kids. Well, well. Well, we grew up as kids in in Scott's Edition, which is a little full room. Uh, it's like a complex. It's got four uh, houses over top of each other. Yeah. And this and then, is in uh, Western Virginia. I got a, yeah, Richmond, Richmond. Okay, Richmond, Virginia. And then yeah. and then then uh, 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 I went to work for a concessionaire, and I worked for a construction company when I got out of school. And doing the working in the concessionaire, they had wrestling at the old cattle barn at the fairgrounds here, where the NASCAR's got the big racetrack. Uh-huh. And one day, uh, Mr. Murnick came in, was Crockett Murnick Promotions, and he said, "I need you to do me a favor. I need you to referee tonight." And I said, "I know nothing about refereeing." He yeah, said, what? "All you got to do is listen." <laughs> and so it went from there. And then I worked for Crockett for about ten or twelve years. Yeah. And I left there and went to WWF and then turned in WWE. And I left WWE and I went to TNA and now I'm at AEW. Yeah. Boy, you just summed up your career, your career really quickly there. Uh, we've got a, a lot in between there, though. And, uh, you know, back to where it all began, uh, a lot of times that uh, the way people end up being referees is they, they're working, say, the, the ring crew. And it, 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 was a right. way to, it was a way to make extra money. Uh, and you pretty right. much had to do just about everything. Is that kind of the way it was for you? And was Dave doing the same thing you were at the at the same time? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean actually, we were a ring crew, mm-hmm. putting a ring up every Friday in Richmond, and then uh, went from there. Yeah. And we're both. Was Dave doing it with you? We were both doing the same thing, or did you start before he did? How did it? How did it work? No. 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 Well, we both put a ring up, 
and we both were working for uh, 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 Crockett. And yeah. then, then when it came to do the twin deal with Hogan and uh, well, I think it's Indianapolis Saturday Night yeah. Live. Mm-hmm. That's then he went. Well, actually, he went there way before I did, because right. George Scott was a booker, and George liked David, so he took him up to the to the WWF. And then when they needed the twin deal, then they asked me to come, and and that that's what that's how I got there. Yeah, well, uh, you were always the evil twin, so George Scott knew oh, what yeah. he was doing at the time. Right. Um, but yeah, and I'm still evil. Young... I'm still evil. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, uh, you say that you were you you were trained by Tommy Young and what is that true uh, with with uh, Crockett? Yeah, right. Tommy Young, I would watch him uh, do everything and and mm-hmm. truthfully, Tommy was amazing. He was a great referee. Yeah, you know, and and I always said, man, if I could just be like this guy, the way he slides, the way he counts, and all the crap he does, uh, it'd be awesome and. And actually, Tommy helped me, and Tommy Tommy Young was a big big help to me, really, yeah. great help. Well, well, we hear all the time how guys get trained. You know, they, they somebody takes them under their wing, or they have or they go to a school or something like that. And there really isn't anything like that for referees. There certainly wasn't back then. And uh, no. when did this start becoming serious for you? Where you know, where you actually received training from Tommy, and and did were you thinking, you know, maybe I could do this as a career and make a living? Well, after 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 getting a break from from Mr. Mernick, I fell in love with it, and I said, "Man, I you know I really want to do this." And mm-hmm. back then, you know, you didn't make the money back then as you as you did, or uh, maybe say ten years ago, you know. Oh God, what it was, was it like? Uh, Twenty bucks a match or something? What they what'd you get paid back then? Well, when I was working with Crockett, I was making fifteen dollars a night, wow. and that's it. Wow. And I was driving my car millions and millions of miles. Then, but gas will will about thirty thirty between thirty two cents. Then you know, I mean? yeah, but it's all relative. <laughs> but, it was expensive but, yeah, to you at the yeah. time, and right. And I slept in many restaurants in my car. Believe me, boy. But you, you just know. loved it. Is that what it was? I mean, it just got I, into your I, your soul. I I just loved it, and, and it's just something I always. After I got the opportunity to do it, I fell in love with it, and I just. It was something I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, back then when I started, like I said, you know, you drove your car millions of miles. The only airport you've seen is when you pass it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> That's right. Hey, look at that airport. It'd be nice someday to actually get on one of those planes. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you mentioned watching Tommy Young. And most people mm-hmm. wouldn't realize, really, the art there is to it. And so what did you learn from him? Well, I learned where to be, what to do, uh, and learned spots and, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. I mean, you know, most people think we're just counting three, but nobody has a clue what we do, honestly. Right. You know, yeah. it's not just one, two, three. I mean, basically, uh, I'm not saying we make the whole show, but we make the show work. By yeah. doing what uh, we're supposed to do and where and be where we got to be to take a bump, to do this, do that, or don't see this and do see that. And you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? But, but mm-hmm. it's, it, 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 it's, it's, a it's, it's really a hard job. You either want it or you don't want it. You know, yeah. it's either put out or get out. That's, that's the way it is. 
Well, in many cases, too, when, when you work at these matches, uh, regardless, if, let's say, a finish goes wrong or some or a, a bump that was supposed to be taken at a, or a spot it's, and, and uh, something goes wrong, uh, you know, a lot of times you might get the blame for it, and you're certainly not going to win that argument. Mm-mm. We always get the blame for it, regardless. There's yeah. no question about it. Well, Earl wasn't there when he's supposed to be, or yeah, yeah. Tommy Young wasn't there. He, uh, he screwed this up. He screwed that up, and whatever, you know. And sometimes, in all honesty, they're not delivering what they told us before we got there. So, mm-hmm. therefore, we're getting confused. Well, what about back in the day? Uh, it certainly changed as, uh, you know, when you got to the WWF, but... Um, what was the role of the referee, and how much did you get involved? How how did they, uh, you know, plan these out? Because a lot of the times, from what my understanding is, is, you guys really didn't know, and a lot of times they didn't either. They just, uh, you know, knew what the finish was supposed to be, whatever. But how involved would you uh, be before these f- matches, you know, hit the ring back then? Well, back then, honestly, it's like, uh, say if it was a pay-per-view. Yeah. Or WrestleMania. If I was the main, if I was in the main event, that's all I did. One match, because mm-hmm. I wanted to know bell to bell, where to be, what to do. And when you're doing two or three matches before the main event, it's it's uh it it, it breaks your thought, you know, right. of of what, what 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 you're doing because you're worried about what you're doing in those matches. And then you know when you get down to the main event, uh, you've done forty things before you get to the next 30. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, and, and I never liked that, never wanted to do that. And, and, and you know, that's basically how, how I told Vince that, that, you know, if I'm going to do the main event, I want to know it from top to bottom. I don't want to go out there and work three or four matches and be confused and not have my whole thought on the main event. And right. that was pay-per-views, TVs, or everything, whatever yeah. it was. But what about in the early days, though? I mean, by that point, you know, by the time you got to the WWF in, in 1988, you'd probably work thousands of matches. And oh, in most cases, yeah. I mean, the NWA was a big deal then. And so how did those matches work then? Did, was it the same way with you? or Because a lot of people don't realize that uh, in many cases, you don't know what they're up to in the ring. You may you, you know the finish, but uh, is that the way a lot of, a lot of it worked back then? Well, the NWA, you know, if, I mean, just say if they come to the town, Richmond, okay, you got five or six matches. You only had one ref. You don't, you don't have them like you do today. Mm-hmm. And then they would just give you the finish, and the rest of it, you use your head and figure out where to be and what to do. Unless it was a bump, they tell you this, that, the other. But other than that, just a regular match, they give you the finish, and you had to go along with it and play it like. What you thought you need, where you needed to be, and what you had to do. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, back then with kayfabe, and where you actually had separate dressing rooms, and uh, where uh, a lot of the times you kind of the middleman, you would go to both locker rooms and make sure each guy knew what they were doing. How did they work that back then when they really did uh, have to play up the kayfabe on it? Well, when I was working for uh, uh, Crockett. Uh, 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 and Dusty's the one that gave me the big break too, also. But uh-huh. Dusty would tell me what he wanted, the finishes, and I'd go back and forth. Okay, here's what he wants. What do you want to do? Okay, I'll go back over there. Okay, this is what they want to do. What do y'all want to do? I mean, it it was really kayfabe back then, you know. But yeah, that's 
that's dead. That's dead now. There's no such thing. Yeah, but well, it made it sometimes it made a big difference then. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you look at it now, half these guys, uh, like Warlord, was riding in with the British Bulldog, and 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 they're working together. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? This, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just, you know, they just, I don't know, man. It's just, it's ridiculous. And you know, like I'm, well, I know you know I'm from the old school, and I yeah. hated, it. I hated it to death. You know, you go to restaurants, the guys eating with his eating, eating with the guy he just wrestled, and people walking in and seeing all that crap. You know, yeah, it's it's just unreal. You know, that actually. Uh, uh, Vince is the one that killed the business or made it what it is today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it certainly has changed over the years. Uh, Earl, for people who don't really know what the NWA was like, um, it was a powerhouse. And tell, uh, tell the listeners really at that point uh, when you were involved in that, and they had some you know legends that uh, stepped into the ring in the NWA. What was that organization like when you were there? It was great. I mean, you stop back, like you said, Legends, you had Wahoo, you had uh, 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 Flair, you had Dick Murdoch, you had, I mean, so many good, great superstars. And, and they were booming. They were booming. And where they went wrong, when they tried to compete with Vince, I mean, they had, they had the South sewed up. They would sell out Greensboro, Charlotte. I mean, everywhere, uh, you know, and they had it made, but when they tried to compete with uh, with Vince and go up north and all this stuff, it killed them. It cost them a lot of money, you know. Yeah. The same way with TNA. We, I mean, we would try, we, we we had uh, Universal Studios locked in. The ring stayed there till we till wherever we got ready to use it. It didn't have no, you didn't have to go hire uh, six tractor trailers to go around the world to go up yeah. north in Union, and that's what killed TNA. And I. Sit there one, one, one night and I told Dixie Carter, I said, you lost your mind. Mm. I said, you're going to be hot for maybe two or three months. After that, Vince will burn your butt up. Believe me. And look yeah. what happened. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, like Crockett, Crockett had a gold mine, you know, and they just tried to step up and be uh, a WWF back then and it just didn't work. You know, yeah. they, they, they blew it. Yeah. Um, what are some of your most vivid memories with the NWA before uh, your life completely changed? But what are some of the, the most vivid memories you have uh, during that time and the people you worked with? Well, one memory that I've carried for 40 years is I was working in St. Louis, Flair and Ricky Morton, mm -hmm. title match, and I screwed the first finish up because <laughs> I was nervous as shit anyway. Okay. I'm mean, nervous as heck anyway. Okay. And <laughs> I said, oh, my God, Rick, I messed up. I messed up. He said, don't worry about it. Just listen to me. Listen to me. And he coached me right through it. Believe yeah. me. He said, just listen to me. You're all right. You're fine. And I was a nervous wreck. But, yeah. uh, I mean, Flair is one. Flair is probably my hero in this business. I mean, yeah. I got a lot of heroes. But he is one that uh, gave me the opportunity to push, shove, punch, hit, or whatever. And, you know. I wouldn't have been me if it hadn't been for him or Sergeant well, Slaughter and, or, you yeah. know. Well, and you mentioned, uh, you know, 
taking bumps. And that isn't something that, you know, was a big part of, of uh, wrestling back then, even though you'd get involved. But it, it certainly changed even more when you were involved in the WWF. But um, you were known to be one of the best to take the bumps. And, um, you know, how? what kind of training did you get for that? Was there training to be done? Because, you know, I've talked with uh, other people before and they said it's not a referee can't take a bump the same way a wrestler does. You can't take, right. you know, a suplex and do it like you would do, you know, you have to be like right. a guy who isn't used to ever getting touched and be able to make it uh -huh. look real. So uh -huh. how did you do that? Well, it, it, it's like I tell these referees today. If you just stay relaxed and don't stiffen up and just go at it. But if you prepare yourself to be uh, a piece of concrete when they hit you, you're not going to yeah. fall right. You stay I limber, you know stay loose, stay relaxed. Right. And, and, and go with it. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'll never forget this. Uh, Jay Strongboat asked, we were in an ages meet one day, and uh, Strongboat said, uh, uh, why is Earl doing all the main events? Mm -hmm. He said, because the same way that the football referee is, one football referee that does all the Super Bowls, he said he knows what the hell to do, he knows where to be, and that's why he's there. Yeah. And I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you what I heard, you know, yeah. which made me feel good, you know. But but the thing is, when you're taking a bump, you just got to be relaxed. And, I mean, if you go back and look at some of the bumps I took yeah. from Sean, uh, 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 a leapfrog, and then he plows, plows into me, I yeah. planned it where to be. So when he hit me, if I had to go out of the ring, I would fall and slide right out of the ring and hit the floor. Yeah. All right. But that's something that's, I mean, God, I, I guess God gifted me to do this and be this, but I could take any bump in 910 make it work and look good, look real, you know? And, and I can't I do mean, it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what? You probably could, uh, Earl, but, uh, but, but, but is it something, I mean, did you practice? I mean, how did you, how did you prepare for that? Because, you know, when a guy takes bump in the ring, I mean, he's probably done that 10,000 times. So how did you, did you practice or did you feel, no, I'm just going to let it happen? Or how did that work? I would go to the ring. We go to the match. Yeah. And I would, and not, not that I, I never took a bump before the match, but I would listen to them and know where to be and turn my head to my, behind me and say, okay, I got to go there. I got to be here. And got to be there. I would map my own self out to where my timing would be for me, what mm -hmm. I had to be and where, I, where at the spot I had to stand in to take the bump and go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it was just something in my mind that, that, that I, <clears throat> that I knew what I had to do. It was all, I don't know, uh, self-planning for myself, you know, but I never, we never took a bump in the practice. We just, I just figured out where I had to be and what I had to do, you know. And like I said, nine times out of ten, it worked. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you but, know, it's, but it's, I would work my butt off. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I would, no. I would work my butt off. And even after we went through the match, I'd stay in the ring, and I, I'd mark myself. Okay, I'm here. I back up, and I would probably take the bump on my own, fall back, and go. Uh -huh. Okay, here's what I got to do. Boom, I got to be this far at least, and. You know, that's it didn't work every time, but it worked most of the time. Yeah. 
And, and who were some of the, the best um, that you liked working with in those situations? Who were the best at it? I like, I like working with Hogan. Yeah. Flair was the best. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, actually, everybody that I've been in the ring with and had to take a bump, they, they always took care of me. Uh-huh. Always. You know, they knew that, you know, and then I'd come out and they'd go, are you okay? Are you okay? You go, yeah, I'm fine. God, I thought you killed yourself. No, I'm fine. I said, you didn't even, all you did was brush me. It's fine. You're good. You didn't hurt me. You know what I mean? But they yeah. would always ask and make sure I'm okay, which was great. You know, so, you know, that's, that's how that went. Well, were there, were there uh, ever times though, and I don't know, um, you know, maybe working with the warrior or, you know, was anybody uh, stiff just because they didn't know how to do it any, you know, any differently? <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> the ultimate warrior in Toronto, WrestleMania, him and Hogan. Yeah. Yeah. He hit me so hard with a clothesline that when I hit the mat, it felt like, I don't know, everything in my body went to the top of my head. I couldn't hardly move for a while. Oh, I mean, he clobbered me, buddy. He knocked me stiff. That That is one of the... And David Boy on uh, In Your House, yeah. the time he hit me in your house, he nearly... <laughs> he didn't kill me, but I thought I was dead. Yeah. I mean, he must have been coming 90 miles out. And when I went through the ropes, I had so much paint on the, uh, I had so much, uh, whatever it is from the rope tape on my pants that they were no good. Yeah. I think that's the worst of two bumps I ever took in my life. I mean, I've had some good bumps, but those, yeah. the ones that, that hurt me, those two were, were dev- devastating. Well, probably warrior cause he didn't know any better. And then Davey wanted to make sure that no matter what, it was going to look good. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he's gonna get himself up. He didn't give a shit if he had to kill you. <laughs> you know, he's gonna get his. He's gonna get his. He's gonna get his stuff in. Yeah. And I'm tell you what, he was stiff as concrete. Oh, Believe boy. me. No matter every every match I was in with him, whenever I had to, regardless of the bump, it would hurt from him. Wow. He just he was a powerhouse. He just go get himself over. Yeah. I mean, I, I love him. Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm talking about the Ultimate Warrior. Oh, Warrior, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was going uh, D- to Davey, say. Davey, Davey, Davey was just one of, that's the first time that Davey ever really hit me hard enough to hurt me. But oh. in the other matches that I've ever done for me, it was never like that. I don't know what it was, you know, but anyway. Yeah, well, the the Warrior was notorious. It didn't matter who was in the ring, so he wasn't picking right, on exactly. He was just doing what right, he, Warrior does. Right, he killed his opponent, so the referee's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Just in the way. Uh, you know, right. you, you did so many uh, great matches over the years. Um, I want to talk about one that before you got to the WWF, and people talk about it all the time, is that I quit match. And why was that match so special? And uh, does it really stand out in your mind uh, among uh, the, the best matches you were ever involved in? Yeah, that's when J.J. Uh, 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 threw the towel in. Yeah, with Magnum J. T.A. and Tully Blanchard. Magnum and Tully, you're right. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. What do you remember of that match? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He broke, didn't he break a chair? And if I can remember, right, exactly. Didn't he break an arm off a chair and was going to stick it in his head or something? Uh, there was, it was a wild, a wild, wild match. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, uh-huh. 
Right. But that's one of the ones I still remember today. Mm. And so, uh, did you start to get you know get a, a reputation? Because I, I wonder, you know, how does a referee stand out to be among the best? Where you've got the WWF looking at you and thinking, "Wow, we want to get him up here." Uh, how did you stand out? It's it's just the. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean this in a bad way, but I, I guess it's just the stupid shit that I did to make it and want to be there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I mean, regardless, I sacrificed my whole body to be what I am today. And uh-huh. now I'm paying the price for it. Yeah. But, you know, but it's it, it's just something like if you want to be, whatever you want to be in any, in any sports, you give it 100%. And if you make it, you make it. And if you don't, you don't. But you can only make, I only made this, made, made this deal work. I didn't make it work. The guys made it work for me. Mm-hmm. They gave me opportunities to do whatever had to be done to to draw attention and and make it work. You know what I mean? But it was those guys that made me. I didn't make myself. They made me. Yeah, and well, having referees get involved in matches was, was certainly wasn't something new. I mean, uh, things like that no. did happen in angles. But do you feel that you kind of took it to another level um, of really becoming actively involved in, in certain storylines in these matches. Well, I think that worked for me because uh, when it was something important, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, okay, uh-huh. from me doing what I was doing and building and climbing the ladder, they trusted me and they believed in me. And what they had to accomplish, they felt like, I was the best to help them make the storyline. Mm-hmm. I'm not bragging on myself, but I'm just saying that what they had to get done, they trust me. That's like when I was WWF uh, on weekends when Hogan had double shots. We did the match and then we do the match and then intermission, and mm-hmm. I chow up and me, him, Marshall, Elizabeth, and his wife back then, Miss Linda, we get on the jet and go to the next town. Yeah. And Hogan wanted me to be his referee. Because he, he could trust me and I guess knowing, knowing and knew that I was going to be there, whatever spot was, I was going to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I know you're, you're humble about it, Earl. Uh, you know, you're, you're humble. But at the same time, uh, did you consider yourself uh, the best or, or, or among the absolute best in wrestling at that time? Not, not really. <laughs> I just got a lucky break and was good at what I did. And I'm just saying everybody else was second. I guess I was first. Not bragging, okay? But, but, yeah. but we have good refs. We, we, there's, a, there's a ton of refs around this world that are good, yeah. you know? But they're only going to accomplish what they put into it, yeah. you know? I mean, you know, you can run around a ring and look like a, like a dummy if you want, or you can concentrate on what you got to do and make yourself work, you know? But there's a lot of things that I've done that uh, that Vince put me in to know he knew that whatever had to be done was going to get done, hopefully, and be right. You know, it was no miscuing, uh, not where to be or what to do or how to do. And basically, uh, Vince, Vince, Vince believed in me, you know. I mean, there's a lot of things. We had a good rest at WWF and WWE, but 
some of them just didn't want to, I don't know, they'd either screw up down the road or mess this up or mess that up. And then he'd say the hell with it. Uh, you know, I want Earl to do this. I want Earl to do that. And, and I told one of them one time I had a match with uh, a Japanese guy. I can't even think of his name now. And uh, uh, Jerry the King Lala. Mm-hmm. And I was going to stand on the outside of the rope and give somebody a bunch of crap and then turn around. They were going to hit me. I had to take my leg and tie it in the rope and hang down upside down. Oh. And uh, Vince said, I said, Vince, uh, you got me doing this match? He said, yeah. And uh, he said, I want you to do it. And I went out there and and put my leg on the rope and then twist it back. And I said, this rope's got to be loose. It's too tight. It'll, it'll break my leg. There's no way in the world I can move this, get tied up like this. And in mm-hmm. a mission, they loosened the rope. I went out there, and it worked perfect, you know. Yeah. Well, you were so, a professional. I, mean, I don't that's know. Over the years, well, you learned. I knew. Right? Yeah, I knew if they had all all the tight, all the strength on that cable, it it's no way in the world my, my little bit, uh, skinny leg could bend it and get get locked locked up in it, you know. Yeah. And it was only the middle rope. The bottom mm-hmm. one was fine, but yeah. I had to get that middle rope to twist my leg over and hold me. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I just put a lot of effort, a lot of thoughts and, uh, and everything I did when I, in, when I walked to that ring, uh, I knew exactly what I was going to do and hope it worked right. Yeah. Not that everything worked perfect, but it worked close. Yeah. The best, best, you best it could be before you, cause right. anything could go wrong in there. I mean, it was basically exactly. live television all the time. Exactly. I mean, so not only flying to the rope. Go ahead. No, no, I want to hear about that. So you said about flying through the but rope. But not only sliding at the bottom rope, yeah. I planned when they did a leapfrog that sometimes they would hit me and I go through the, the middle rope straight out of the ring. Yeah. But I, I, I always try to base myself, mark myself where I had to be and what I had to do to to make the bump look right, not fake, you know. So I mean, but I put a lot of work do- in the. Yeah, but how did you do that? How did you do to, you know, when you take, uh, like I said, these guys that, that uh, did this night after night after night, uh, you know, they were, they got practice. I mean, basically that's what it comes down to. When you do that so many times, uh, you know exactly what to do, but you didn't do it every night. So being able right. to have that timing and then also, uh, you know, like a lot of times, like going out and being able to grab that rope at the last second to kind of break your fall. I mean, it, it's not something that, uh, you know, that doesn't come with a, a repetition. Right. But, but, but think about this. It was only done on uh, TVs or pay-per-views. Yeah. It was not every night in a house show, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so that way it, it Really, like I said, it was mostly on pay-per-views and TVs where it counted, you know. I mean, they just didn't beat us up during the week because they needed us next week for TVs. Yeah. Uh, it was it was tough. They didn't realize, like, how much you guys uh, took in there as well. Uh, let's talk about right. your journey to the WWF and how it happened because, you know, you, you mentioned that Dave went first. Uh, George Scott mm-hmm. brought him up to the, the WWF. And then um, I, how did the angle come up? where they said, hey, he's got a, an identical twin, and we can work this in. Uh, how did that all happen that brought well, you to the World Wrestling Federation? 
<laughs> well, here's the deal. They, they wanted to, to they wanted Hogan to drop the belt, but they didn't want to beat him clean. Right. And then they thought about it and thought about it, and then they figured, well, hell, Earl, uh, Dave's got a twin brother. That, that's perfect. And mm-hmm. that's how it worked. And then Vince flew my brother and I up there, and we sat down and talked to him, and uh, it was it was a it was great. It, I mean, it worked perfect. And then they oh, kept awesome. saying, "Oh, it's an imposter." Yeah. They made him up. They made him up, or whatever. And and then you know when it came out to be the truth, we were twins. Yeah. Well, I, I remember that, and uh, that, and they kept that really under tight wraps. Nobody knew about it. I don't remember how they got you in there. Um, but this well, I, angle, I can tell you what I can yeah. tell you had how it happened. We went up to Connecticut and and me, my brother, and Hogan and and uh, uh, DBI, I think, oh, uh, whatever. We worked that thing and worked that thing uh, for about four days. Yeah. Okay, and it was the most kayfabe thing oh, in man. the world yeah. that I ever can remember that. K- what kayfabe was okay then when i went into the building everybody goes hey dave hey dave i go hey yeah, you doing i kept right, my right. head down and, and kept walking went in yeah. this office and i stayed there the whole day yeah. then david came in a little later and it was like nobody was looking for dave because uh, they knew dave was already there you know what i mean yeah that's so funny um, it was, was great. A, yeah, was this a Pat Patterson thing? I mean, uh, who who came up with the idea? I mean, I know that uh, you know they knew you were out there, but I, I, I'm just wondering if it, if they if this was something that they said, you know, someday we got to do something with that, and this was the right opportunity. Uh, how did it real? How did it all come up? I mean, you're just working in the NWA, and who calls you? Uh, nobody called me. My brother told me. Uh, he yeah. said Vince wants us to come up to New uh, to Connecticut and mm-hmm. want to do a deal. I said okay, <laughs> but I think Hogan was the one that really put the icing on the cake. Yeah, they said yeah, this is perfect. This is what we need, yeah. from what I understand. Yeah, you know? and well, uh, at the time, and, and that, folks probably remember this was as uh, Earl mentioned they they needed an exit for Hulk. He was going to take some time off, right. supposedly. To go right. shoot the movie, no whole part. Yeah, right. And so they needed a way to get him to you know to be able to have this break, uh, and he had and to give lose up the it belt cl- and lose it, and right, and not yeah. being beat, uh, right. clean. Yeah. So so it wouldn't hurt him. It wouldn't hurt him down the road when he came back. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, Ted was involved in this, and it really it's it was one of the best angles i think ever i will at least one that i certainly enjoyed the most uh because it was just so well done and and the and the crowd reaction when all of a sudden it's like uh-huh. there's two of them <laughs> yeah but you, you know uh, i'll go back to this we practiced and practiced and hogan picked me up and, and he didn't actually throw me to them but he he walked toward the ring and like tossed me out yeah and when we did the match when he started running, I go, oh, my God, this ain't the plan here. And if you remember, he overshot me. Yeah, yeah. They didn't catch you. Right. No. <laughs> and I go, oh, I'm going, oh, my God, this is not what we said right here. And when they overshot me, I hit the f- concrete floor 
and spun in my rotor cup in my right arm. Mm. Then after that, I couldn't move it. Uh, the next day, I flew home, and then I came home. And then they flew me to Alabama to Dr. Andrews. He looked uh -huh. at it, and he operated on me. Uh, I flew back home again, then I went back again, and he operated on me. And then I come home, and I stayed home eight weeks and went to Half South to build my arm back up. Wow. My first night there, I was out. After that match, I was out eight weeks. God, I didn't remember that. I, I thought I thought you were uh, shortly there after, and I thought a lot of it was just they wanted to keep you away so that they could, you know, bring you back in. No, but what was it supposed mm -hmm. to be a, a one-off, or did Vince say uh, we want to keep you working afterwards? What was the what was the deal going in? Oh yeah, yeah, he gave me a contract. Oh, okay. So you were coming to work for the WWF. Oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I signed up a five-year deal with him. Yeah. And, and what was the reaction uh, from the crowd after that? Uh, I guess you were basically uh, totally out of it. You probably didn't really even know it because you were healing up. Right. But, well, uh, uh, you know, I can, I can hear the crowd and – but but once I hit the concrete in my arm, I, I went, oh my god, you know, I can't I can't move this damn thing, you know, and I'm going, oh my god, and mm. I really didn't know exactly what was wrong with me. I knew I was hurt, okay, but then uh, they flew me home the next day, and like I said, I went to uh, uh, Alabama the day after that or whatever, and Doctor Andrews took an X-ray and this that and the other and and whatever, and I flew home. Got all my stuff packed up, and maybe one or two days, all week later, or maybe soon. I can't exactly give an extra timing on that. And then mm -hmm. I flew back to Alabama, and he operated on me. And I, he said, "Oh, you'll be back home in, in a day or so." I stayed in there a whole week because they couldn't stop the bleeding. Once once he got in there, it was mm -hmm. worse than the X-ray shade. Oh boy! So they couldn't stop the bleeding. So I stayed down there and till it until they could get it right, and I actually worked in their uh, therapy uh, room for, I think it was two days at the most, mm -hmm. and then I came home. And then you said it took about eight weeks? Eight weeks. Wow. At rehab, Hell South, right here mm -hmm. at home. Yeah. And so when you went back, uh, you, you were, you know, did you get, you just got right back into it and, uh, you know, hit the road with the WWF, oh. came part of the circus? Right. Right. Yep. <laughs> and and what was that life like back then, Earl? Uh, when I, I always try and explain it to people, and they just don't understand uh, what that life was like for the superstars and also people like you. Um, give us some idea of those early days when you were with the WWF. Well, <laughs> the money was good, but the lifestyle was a crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you're away from home, but you're making a lot of money. And but you're getting burnt out. Everybody was getting burnt out because when I went up there, some days you stay out sixty days before you come home. Jeez. Then it got down to forty, and then it got down to this and that, and and everybody was burnt out. Everybody was on drugs and all whatever it was, cocaine or you name it, they were on it. I'm not saying me, I'm saying them. But they had to have something because. They were burnt out, and the bodies were beat up, and that's the way it was back then, you know. But they were, but they, but Vince was making tons of money. Yeah. 
I mean, no, well, also, you know, I was uh, in the event center. I knew how many uh, events you guys were doing in a, a typical week. What were you doing? Maybe six shows? Yeah. How many? Yeah. I mean, give I us mean, a typical constantly, week. Well, a typical week you, you, uh, was seven days a week and sometimes double shots on, on, on Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah. I mean, it was brutal. You know, yeah. and that's why everybody got so messed up and screwed up and and whatever it was, because nobody could get, I'm not saying me, but the guys <laughs> were hurting so bad that, yeah. that they didn't have time to recuperate, to get well, and they kept going. And so that's why all this drug bullshit came in. Yeah. Well, and, and you guys were driving, like you were flying, you'd fly to different cities, but then in between, there might be two or three house shows uh before right. you fly out again. So you're driving in between right. the cities. You're getting right. done with an event. You're trying to get something to eat. And then of course, you know, you don't want, you can't sleep. So you're, you're in the bar. And I mean, uh, did you get caught up in all that too? What do you mean caught up? Well, we, you know, that lifestyle where you're going out uh, oh, you yeah. know, every night afterwards. No, no. And, huh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I didn't get caught up in the drugs, but I got caught up at the bar. Yeah. I mean, everybody, uh, that was only, for me, that was the only relaxation that uh, would just slow me down and relax me a little bit. And the next day you get up and you got a 100-mile a trip, you got a 200-mile trip or whatever it may be, and then you got to go back. Uh, or you get in at 1, 2 in the morning, to, uh, uh, you know, it shows over around 10.30, you got a two-hour drive, and then you get back and you got to get up at the, go the next day and then you get up and go back and then you got to get up the next day and catch a damn plane around uh eight nine or ten and go to another city and you start all over again yeah it was bad i mean it was tough it was tough i couldn't do it today yeah i could back then because i was young but <laughs> I, I i just can't do that it, it wouldn't work today you know yeah for me and then also there was, i mean i've uh, had opp- go ahead no, no, you're 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 talking about you've had. Uh, uh, you I know, mean, I've had, I've had opportunities uh, uh, to go here and there on indie shows and this that and the other, but a lot of them I turned down because I just don't want to fly and go away that long. You know, I have a few good guys that's taking care of me on these indie shows, and yeah. I will do them. But but uh, but I've turned down a lot of stuff, especially since I went with a- AEW. Yeah. You know, I mean that just opened the uh, door for me now. But uh, I I just don't want to do it all the time. Period. I don't mind doing here, there, and the other, but not like every day and every weekend. And forget that. It's not for me no more. Well, back then I know you got a couple of kids too. I mean, uh, what was the the uh, home life like for you? Uh, I, I, like you said, sometimes you'd be out for months. So how yeah. did you how did you handle uh, both lives? Well, I got two ex-wives, so you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> didn't work out so well, yeah. I mean, no, really, no. It's, it, but, it doesn't work for families, uh, you know. No, uh, no. These guys no. Are- I, mean, I mean, when you're young, like I was, and you're making good money, you're trying to support your family, give your kids what you need, and you're away. But actually, it's good, but it's bad. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When it gets down to the nitty-gritty, it's bad. Now I, I adopted a little girl from China. She's in. Uh, she's working down in Atlanta with Teddy Long in his school, and she's a wrestler. 
mm. you know. And that's what she wanted. I try to talk her out of it. And you know, my son is a referee, but, yeah. Yeah. uh, 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 you know, she, she's doing real good down there and everything. And, and, uh, she just adopted to it. Like, uh, like I did. She just, you know, you know, I got her when she was two years old. She's 25 now. And she's, she's awesome. And the first thing I'm not bragging, but the first thing Teddy says, uh, we want to put our world's belt, woman's belt on her. I said, don't do it. He mm. said, why? He says, she's better than a champion. I said, no, no, no. I said, let her work more to learn more and get better. So when you do give it to her, it'll mean something. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, but it, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, a, uh, it's, it's really a beating on your family, even though you're making some money, you're doing good. Everybody's got what they want, but dad, everybody's got everything they want, but dad. Well, you'd be home for you maybe a saying? couple of days at a time too, right? I mean, that's, that's the right. thing. That, that, uh, and it was hard to kind of slip back into that world when most really, uh, you had another family in a sense with these people that you were on the road with all the time. And you were with right. them more than you would anybody else. Exactly. I mean, truthfully, the most stuff I can remember when we're going out between 60 and 45 and 60 days, mm. you, you get home one week and that was it. Boom. Yeah. And that's counting the day that you flew home. So that actually is not a day home. So you'd end up maybe four days at home. Oh. And then yeah, you got right. it. Yeah, because you're traveling for a couple of right. them. And, yeah. Wow. Um, you became one of the senior or the senior referee with the WWF. Um how were referees assigned to matches back then? How did you guys work it? Uh, the uh, Vince, Vince or uh, Johnny or, or whoever the hell it was in charge would do that. Yeah. Oh, so you didn't Actually, have when the, you go to the when you go to the agents meeting, your name would already be on the sheet of what, or what match you had. So uh, I don't know, uh, Pat or Jr. or uh, Vince, one or the other would do it. And that's how it worked. They would just, uh, you, you didn't, uh, it, what if a, a certain superstar wanted you to work that match? Were they accommodate, accommodating to them for those? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes, they would. So who always wanted you? I mean, besides, I know Hulk wanted you for his matches, but who were some of the Well, until my son, until my son went there, Kurt Angle wanted me all the time. And Steve Austin wanted me all the time. Yeah. And Rocky wanted me all the time. <laughs> <clears throat> so it was most of the guys that, uh, you know, the other ones that uh, said, no, I don't want this one. I want that one. You know, like not knocking nobody, but like Jack Dome, uh, uh, Chad Patton, all the guys that were there when I was there. Yeah. Uh, they just, they did, they just didn't want them. You know, they go, no, I need Earl for this. I need Earl for that. And whatever. Uh, so, why, why do you think that was? Uh, because whatever they had to do, they trusted me in being where I had to be to make them, to make them, their match look good. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's times that they, I mean, some of those guys had used the other guys, but they were just never there when they needed them. And, and after the first screw up or the second screw up, they just said, you know, this, this is not working. I I need, I need, uh, you know, I want Earl come in and do this right. you know so well obviously your your uh 
really think a lot of Hulk Hogan and uh, what he did to help you in your career. But uh, tell us a, a little bit more about that relationship that you had with him, because I know it went further than just, you know, stepping into the ring. Uh, he was just always a great guy. I mean, uh, uh, he just, he just took care of me and my brother, period. You know, he loved us, man. And he looked out for us and he made sure that, uh, we were paid right wherever we were in an angle with him. And, and, uh, he just said, he told Vince, he said, if I'm going to do double shots, I'm going to take Earl with me. Mm. So that's, and always said, he said, Hebner, we're going to work smarter, not harder. Mm. That was his words. You know, I said, I said, I'm with you, brother. You know. Well, there's a side to him that a lot of people never got to experience. And, and when I got there, even, you know, in 87, Hulk was already this, you know, international superstar. But uh-huh. was there a different side to him that you knew that a lot of people didn't? Uh, and there's probably a small circle that did. Not, not really. I mean, he was always the same in the business and in the dressing rooms and he never changed. He was the same person to me mm-hmm. as in the ring, out of the ring and traveling and whatever. I mean, he was just, he, he was always the same guy. Mm-hmm. Even, even when he was a TNA, I mean, I could sit down and talk to him and tell him, uh, some of my thoughts after the meeting, meetings, yeah. ages, meetings and stuff. And I said, Hogan, I don't, what do you think about this and this? And here's what I think about. And he goes, that's a good idea, brother. Good idea. Yeah. You know, and, and I could always deal with him because he understood. He could understand what I'm thinking and he's thinking. I mm-hmm. mean, in all honesty, the more, uh, the more, uh, what is it? The more uh, answers you can get or the thoughts you can get other than somebody just being a boss and that's the way it's going to be. It's not like that with him. You know, he's willing to listen and take ideas because one person's idea is not always the best. Mm. And he always listened. He always listened to me and, and said, okay, I think this, and I'd tell him what I think. And, 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 and he compromised, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where most of them, the, the, you know, whatever. But everybody thinks referees are stupid, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Well, and they also, I don't think they realize uh, how much a role they did play in these matches and, and you know, especially back then, uh, because a lot of these guys were, uh, you know, they were still in control of their characters and they had a lot of input on how these storylines went down. And -hmm. and back then that was a, that was a huge part of it because you had to be able to know these guys. They had to trust you. Uh So, um, you know, I, I didn't know that, that, that you had that relationship with him. I mean, I just saw oh, yeah. how you guys work together. Uh, but I mean, a lot of times, uh, uh, like the bumps they come up with, if I yeah. really didn't like them, I'd say, I'm not good at this. How about this? This is what I'm good at. They say, okay, sure. You feel yeah. all right? Do you feel safe doing it? I said, sure. But the other one, it, it, it didn't, it, you know, just say in the corner of 360 and I'm in the corner and it gets squashed. I hated that shit. Yeah, you know, but to take just a normal bump or whatever, 
if you're fighting in the corner or something, uh, whatever. How it was, if, if I like it, and I hated when, 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 uh, when, when the talent, regardless of who it is, would grab my shirt and say, "Look over here." I go, "Don't do that shit to me. I don't want to mm-hmm. do that. I don't like it." You yeah. know? I said, yeah, it's it's like, like you're, not, do you're not doing your job." <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's, it's yeah. making me look stupid. You know? So, but they would compromise. I mean. I, you know, like I said, I could talk, I could talk to Hogan and Rick and most of the big big boys on top, and they'd listen. They go, okay, I like it, I like it, you know. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't like it, they tell me, oh, they'd like this, how about this or that, the other. But I did, I did, I did speak speak up and say I think this would be better or that would be better for me to make it better, and it was always no problem. Yeah. How about Randy Savage? Um, you did a lot of matches with him. I really respected Randy for what he did in the ring. And really, every time the guy stepped into the ring, he gave gave both, not just the audience, but uh, you know whoever there else was in the ring with them, everything he had. Uh, uh-huh. What about your your relationship with Randy? It was good. It was good. Uh, the time that him and Hogan had that little... Uh, Angle working, yeah. Liz, what? Uh huh. Yeah. I would, Vince. I would drive. Uh, I would drive Liz around, mm-hmm. and meet Randy, or vice versa. No, which was good. That was a good deal for me. Mm-hmm. You know, the case save it and everything. But uh, Randy was a hard worker. Randy was a great guy. Mm-hmm. I mean. I mean, God knows he, he, I mean, he was given nothing and he earned, he, whatever what he ended up with, he earned it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I How mean, I do him, I do his match, I would do his matches and on a pay-per-view mm-hmm. and the next, when the pay-per-view came time, when I got in the building, he gave me a sheet of paper. Exactly. Wrote everything out word for word, where he wanted me, what he did, what it was going to be, everything. I mean, everything. He and did that all the time? That yeah. All pay-per-views. Wow. And I sit down and I read that thing for <laughs> maybe two two hours or three hours at the most. Because when I went in there, it was going to be right. And if it wasn't right, he would let you know at the end. Uh, wow. How detailed was it? Give us a, a, some idea. It was, I, it was, it was move. It was spot from spot, from bell to bell. Huh. I mean, not that it was that critical, but the bump spots or this spot where you know ball shots or whatever or niche or whatever it was. That's that's where you had to be. The rest of the rest of it, like you know, false finish here, false finish, false finish, one two, false finish, or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was not that was that was not the big deal. The big deal was the spots that meant something. Yeah. And he wanted you there, believe me. Yeah. And he'd write it out, and I sit down, and that's like I told you when you know whenever I had a pay per view or a WrestleMania, if that was my main event, that's all I wanted to do, because that I had to be on the money, I had to be on the ball, and I didn't have to. I didn't want to go out and remember ten matches in a, in a spot, and, and I didn't want to mem- mem- memorize ten spots in one match that wasn't the main event, and right. you know, screw it up, mess mess my head up, you know. Yeah. Wow. 
how about Shawn Michaels? Because you saw him uh, throughout his career, as, you know, from coming in with the, as the Rockers and then the, uh, the singles career and then the Attitude Era and then when he came back. Uh, what was that ride like with Shawn Michaels? It was good. I mean, uh, he liked me. He really depended on me a lot and wanted me to do his matches a lot more than anybody else. But uh, he was good. I mean, I've always gotten along with Sean. Yeah. You know, it's not many people in this business that I haven't gotten along with. Yeah. Well, and and, and with that, let's talk about uh, Bret Hart, uh, who we just both saw. I, I don't know if you had any time to spend with him when you were in Vegas. Uh, we were up there for StarCast too. But uh-huh. um, I know he was, uh, he was someone else who uh, really – thought a lot of you and, and you worked a lot of matches with him. Yeah. And you know, that, that, that whole deal was bad and whatever, but Brett and I made up and we're good friends now. Um, uh, I talked to him, you know, when he was in Vegas and I said, yeah. you know, and he, and the only thing he, he did ask me, he said, how's your bro, brother doing? I said, well, he's not really that good, but he's okay. He yeah. said, well, I'm going to call him Monday. Uh, and I said, uh, well, give it a couple of days. Let me give him notice so that, that, you know, he'll know who you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, I mean, Brett had a show in, in Richmond, and I was on it, and he was on it, and I took my brother with me, and out of nowhere, he called us to the ring, and he put it over. he put us over like no tomorrow, and he told the people, Whatever happened in that match, it's not Earl's fault. Earl did what he had to do. Mm-hmm. He was told to do. And we're friends. I mean, this has been probably a year ago or maybe a little bit longer. But we're great now, you know. Yeah. So. Well, and it was uh, in decades in the making. And you mentioned you call it, you know, you say that match. And, of course, we're talking about the, the Montreal screw job. And uh, right. everybody knows what happens to that match. We don't have to go through that part of it. But what I wanted to ask you about, because – you know, I just did a stage, a live stage show with, with Brett and, uh, uh-huh. you know, went back through a lot of material and, and read his book again. And I wanted to ask you about that, that, that plane flight that you guys were on together and the conversation uh-huh. that you had. Because I know that you you commented on it, too. And uh, uh, from your perspective, tell us about that conversation, you guys, that I think it was the night before. Right. No, it was the next day flying, flying to the show. Right. All right. He brought me. He he paid. <laughs> he paid uh, for me to sit in first class, mm-hmm. and we talked. And he said, "I." He said, "Do me a favor. Don't count me out. Don't don't count me out." I said, "Brett, keep your shoulders up, and you're cool. Mm-hmm. I would not count you out." And I didn't. But right, but it's kind of splitting hairs on it. I mean, or with with uh, right, you know, right. Saying well, that. I agree with you on that. Yeah, right. But see, the thing is, nobody talked to me the whole day until I was going to the ring. Right. And I had about ten minutes before that next match was over, and Briscoe grabs me to the side, says, "Vince wants you to do this. Vince wants you to do that." And I go, "How come nobody said nothing to me all day? This is yeah. full BS." Yeah. He yeah, goes, well, well, everybody's uh, everybody's uh, bugged, just that and the other, blah 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 blah, and 
he said, well, are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know mm. what I'm going to do right now, to be honest with you. He goes, yeah. well, Bert's got a $3 million deal with uh, WCW. Uh, is he going to give you any of that money? And and then uh, that was about it. And, and I'll I tell you what, walking to that ring was like 10 miles of pressure. Oh, boy, I bet. And I'm going, oh, God, what am I going to do? Uh, this, that, and the other, and blah, 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 and, you know. And then if you go back, like I told everybody that's ever asked me this question, like you did, if you go yeah. back and look at that tape, Vince and Sergeant Slaughter was at that ringside. Yeah. So regardless of whether I rung the bell or not, it was going to be rung. Well, I well, yeah, and, and Earl, you were in a, an awful position. I mean, what what the hell were you oh, going to yeah. do? It was like, do I give up right. my job or, and you know, and it might, is, is Brett going to take care of me? Or, <laughs> you know, what, I, I got to work. I mean, it really came down to, right. I mean, I know you talked, right. you've talked about, you know, about the boys and in and, and the business and, and uh, right. you know, at the time Brett was, you know, being selfish, but, you know, Brett claims that, uh, that it had nothing to do with him giving up that belt on Canadian soil. It was the fact at the time, because they've also reconciled since then, that um, it was about him not respecting him and in other conversations right. he had before. So, uh, you know, but for you, didn't it? I mean, it really just came down to were you willing to give up your, you know, give up this job because I'm going to get fired if I don't do this? Right. I mean, hey. Brett's got his living. I got to make man. Yeah. And, and like you said, it was going to happen. But getting back to that, that conversation you guys had that you had before you got there, um, uh-huh. it seemed like Brett knew something was up, right? Right. Well, he he knew something was, yeah, you, you could say that. Something was and up, so you're thinking didn't because exactly you didn't what. know anything about this, right? I mean, at, at that point, you had nothing, no idea. Nothing. So were you thinking? Were you thinking? There's no way they're going to do that. What were you thinking? Well, I, he just didn't want me to count him out one, two, three. Okay. Yeah. And I wasn't going to do that. I said, just keep your shoulders up. I haven't, and it's not going to happen. Yeah. But the thing is, think about this. And I've thought about this uh, for 20 years. Oh, more. Mm. <laughs> Why would you let a guy put you in your finish hole to begin with? Why would Brett let Sean put him in the sharpshooter? Yeah. And that's your finish. Why would you yeah. do that? Well, I think that, that, about was, that yeah, part of the magnitude of what this match was supposed to mean. But, um, uh-huh. You know, that's that's a really good point, and but it was supposed to be you know very early in the match, and when you know you you look back on it, did you think that like I said, Brett thought something was up, but were you thinking they're not going to do that here? I mean, it'll you know, did you think that oh they'll DQ it or something, and then they'll finish it like he said he'll he'll give up the belt two days later, or were you or did you think in your mind you know what they they just might. I just—I didn't know really what to think, honestly, no. until I was told what to do. But it—and it, uh, still today, it, 
Foster runs through my mind. Did Sean know? Did Brett know? Uh, mm. What was going on? I have no. I have no idea. Yeah, I think day. Sean knew. Uh, really? I think Sean knew. Yeah. I will. Answer, I will say that. Brett, I'm not 100 percent sure, but but what puzzles me is why would he let him put him in his own sharpshooter finish and and you know you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, well, it, he had to be. He he had to be. I mean, if somebody was gonna put me in their finish, if I was gonna put my finish on somebody that I was working with and it was their finish, I would think twice or ten times. Why am I doing this? This crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's not going to work. Because yeah. that's more embarrassing than if he just beat you out straight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's so amazing what came out of all that. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, the way, it, it, if you look back at the way it played out storyline-wise and what, how it changed the industry because that led to, you know, Vince becoming the the super heel that he became. And, um, but you paid a price for it too because that, that was on you forever. Uh, you know, with, with the fans, and you know, I mean, you had Dave with a car, so you get the hell out of there, you know. And uh, right, right. The, the repercussions of that—I mean, you couldn't even go to Canada. Was it uh, the notoriety of that a good thing or a bad thing? Looking back, I'll tell you, it was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, I, I couldn't go to Canada for a long time. Yeah, and and they, you know, like Vince said, I'm not sending you back to Canada on that TV because you got more heat than anybody in the building, all, yeah. all the talent. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it was bad. And then I had this, I don't know, idiot guy call me up, a promoter over there, wanted me to come over there and do a match and duplicate the finish for the Brett had. Oh God! <laughs> and I said, Oh, you got to be, you got to be an idiot. Yeah. You know, he yeah. said, I'll pay you good money. I go, buddy, you ain't got enough money to send me back over there. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? I well, mean, God, you know, come and on. What's great about it, Earl, is that you guys have uh, become friends again. And uh, mm-hmm. how did how did that happen? I know it took a long time. You know, and Brett, Brett I think, changed over the years after he, he had the stroke and everything and, and just kind of looking mm-hmm. at how things are. But... Uh, what did it take, and, and how did it happen? It, it happened at that show that he worked in Richmond. Because I was kind of nervous knowing he was going to be there, but I was already booked, right? Yeah, and I didn't was know that? he was there. It's been about maybe two years ago. Two, okay. Or less in Richmond. I can't remember exactly the show or what it was. And he came in there, and... He sat down and he said, I'm, he said, Earl, I don't blame you for what you did and I'm not hot at you. I'm not mad at you. And I said, well, Brett, you know what? That's great because this has been bothering me a long time. And he wow. goes, you had, you had to do what you had to do. And he said, he shook, he gave me his hand. He said, him, shake my hand. Or he put his hand out. He may not say, said, shake my hand. He said, hey, mm-hmm. we're friends. And I'm, I'm sorry for what happened. And I'm sorry that I blamed you. I said, that's great to know. And then after that, he called me and my brother to the ring and, and put us over, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know nothing about that. Uh-huh. But And he told the old crowd, he said, 
people, if you're hot about that match in in in, in uh, Montreal, don't he said it's not this guy, it's not Earl's fault. He did what he had to do. He was told what to do and he did it. So don't be hot at him. And man, ever since then we, we, we've been great. He gave me his home number and everything, and I call, I do call him now and then. You know, see what he's doing, and as far as I know right now, we're, we're good friends. Yeah, I don't know if you got a chance to say hello to him in Vegas, but uh, it was great to see him. I hadn't seen him since uh, I worked with the WWF, so it was really awesome to have that conversation mm-hmm. that we had. Um, oh, you know, no, Earl, you lived through I, Go ahead. I talked to him in Vegas, and that's when he asked me how my brother was. He was going to call him. Yeah. And I said, brother, I love you. I just want you to know that he said, I love you, too. Exactly uh-huh. what he said. Yeah. Uh, you know, Earl, you lived through some great times in the in the WWF, and um, you know, one part of it that really stands out because you got to see these guys that you and you mentioned earlier. Uh, you got to see The Rock uh, develop, come from uh, a struggling superstar to uh, an unbelievable force in the world of wrestling, and then also Steve Austin. But tell me, uh, initially, when you know working with with the you know, with uh, with uh, Dwayne and and how you saw him change and and become the superstar that he became. Well, let me say this, and then I'll go down that road. Vince booked a match with me and and Rock in Richmond against Hunter and the uh, X Pot, <laughs> and and that was a thrill of my life <laughs> in my hometown. Wow! But you know. But when the Rock came first, when the Rock came there, it was a lot of jealousy from some of the guys. Okay, mm-hmm. and and he was Talk telling the these, these guys, huh? The click yeah. or yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the click. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I said, don't worry about it, Rock. I said you'll be fine, man. I said, mm-hmm. shit, don't let them bother you. And yeah. you know he was green and young and whatever. Okay, but he was still a smart guy. You know. Yeah. But uh, he was good as gold to me, believe me. And he had more charisma in a year than most of them have since he's been in the business. Did you see early on, though, that he really had something? Did you say, man, this guy's really something? Oh, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You saw it early on? when you watched him and, and you sat there and you talked to him at the young age, uh, uh, I didn't know he was going to be such a movie star as he is, but I know he had, I know he was talented and, right. and was going somewhere. And that's what mm-hmm. messed the click up. That's why the click was so jealous mm-hmm. because he had it. I mean, it's like he inherited it. You know what I mean? He had, he just had it. I mean, God knows whatever he did was right. So, and that sort of bothered him a little. Well, it bothered him a whole lot, really, to be jealous of him. Yeah. But, you know. Well, it's kind of like you just said at one bit. point, you know, screw it. I'm going to just do what I'm going to do, and I don't care. And then that changed everything. Right. Right. I said, don't, don't let that shit bother I mean, don't let that crap bother you. Just go and do what you got to do. Yeah. You know. But, he, I mean, he was, honestly... Me talking to him back then and knowing who he is now, it, it's unbelievable the way yeah. he's, uh, who he is and what he is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And That's I got the opportunity to, to sit with him and talk to him just like I'm talking to you. Yeah. And never knew he was going to be this movie star that he is today. Yeah. 
Oh, he is. I don't know if there's anybody more famous on the planet right now. Than, than <laughs> right. Yeah. How about uh, Steve yeah. Austin? What about uh, Stunning Steve, who <laughs> became Stone Cold? I loved him. I loved him. And he's the one that wanted me in his matches. Uh-huh. And, at the, and after, the, uh, after, the, after the one, two, three, mm-hmm. all the beer celebration, and I would say, Austin, don't throw me so many damn beers. I, I can't handle this shit. You know? And he was kept throwing them and kept throwing them. Well, I'd open my mouth and just dump them down my shirt all over my face or whatever. I, I, I couldn't drink it. I said, man, I'm, I'm drunk. I'm almost drunk when I leave the ring. I can't drink that many. Don't throw me that many. But God knows he's a great guy. I, I mean, really, I love him to death. I mean, he was a, he was a ace in my pocket. Yeah. And he, he always wanted me. Always. Yeah. Must have been fun working with him in the ring. It must have been a blast. Oh, my God. And the best part is I I could drink beer and get paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) But I would go, damn, I cannot drink this much beer. Stop it. Yeah, that's funny. After I told him that, I think he'd do twice as many. You know, along the way, also, you worked with some really great uh, other referees. And uh, I, I always get sad when I think of, uh, of Joey, Joey Morella, because he was such a sweet kid and really one of the best referees they ever had. Right. And you know what? That I'll look back and, and you want me to tell you this story? Love to. About yeah. Joey? Yeah, please. The the night that he the uh, the night he, he he got killed in that car wreck, we were in Ocean City, I think Maryland, I think that's what it was, could be, yeah. or whatever. And I had the last match, and he walks up to me. He says, "Hey Earl," he says, "Uh, if you want, I'll do the last match, so you can get back, because you're flying home tomorrow." He said, I'm I'm going to my dad's house to, and stay over there. Or, I think it was 4th of July weekend, right? Oh, God, I don't remember right? the date. Yeah, but... Okay. But anyway, he said, I'm going to my dad's house and stay with him. He said, yeah. you know, they lived in New Jersey, right? Yes. Okay. And he said, yeah. He said, uh, why don't you just let me do the last match and, and you go ahead so you can get back so you can go home. You know, you can rest up and go home tomorrow. I said... You sure, Joey? He said, yeah. I said, okay. And the next day when I woke up and I heard that, I I, I went, ah, uh, I just cannot believe this. Yeah. You know, this kid took the last match to let me do me a favor, let me get out early, get back, and all this crap happened. And I've always had thoughts in my mind, if I had done the last match where this had happened, you know, you always question yourself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You always have second thoughts. Yeah, but I know. But Earl, that know. that that schedule was so brutal, and and it, a well, lot of people know. don't know that Joey had been in another accident and done, had done the same thing before. Remember, he had the dropped foot for a while because of of another accident, right? Uh huh. Right. Right. So I mean, it is. It's uh-huh. just it, that the we you talked about that schedule, and uh, you know, a lot of times you get done by the time you get out of the arena, it's it's after uh, eleven or midnight. Then you got to right. get in the car and drive a couple hours to get to the next city you're going to be at the next day. Right, right. I mean, you know, so, I, you know, but uh, I tell you, jo- jo- Joey was a, he was a trip, man. 
Oh God! I mean, God knows he was great. He was a great kid. Believe me. Funny. Oh God! Yes, he could make more sounds of different people, characters, than you can believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I loved him, and uh, he was also a great pitcher. I think he had a tryout with the Mets organization, or right, 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 baseball, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know that, but um, you know, Gino loved him, a gorilla. Oh my God. And it broke his heart. I think he was it, never the same. I think it's got a lot to do with Gino not being here too. Yeah. And broke lived through it, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, uh, just, uh, just, I remember hearing that news. It was just, just awful. And I, even today when I just think about it, because he was just such a, a great kid. I mean, I, 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 uh, I think of him that way when I'm, uh, he wasn't that young, but I mean, he was, and he was just so full of life and so funny and uh, right. Yeah. And the guys, I know the boys loved him. Well, he was, they loved him to death. Yeah. I mean, he was awesome. Yeah. And another guy I loved was, was Tim White, who, uh, yeah, was a great referee, but also, uh, was Andre's, um, uh, I don't know what we Chauffeur. call him. <laughs> he was, Babysitter. Yeah. I mean, Maybe and anybody having right. that job, I mean, Andre was, you know, an awesome person, but to, to have to be around him all the time, I, I, my goodness. Yeah. But I tell you what, that's one of the guys that always has called me ever since I left there is Tim White. Yeah. Always. I call him, he calls me and, and it's, it, it's, it's really unreal. But you know, uh, Andre, uh, bought him a bar. Oh Yeah. And uh, uh, Andre bought him a bar yeah. and uh, put him in business. And then the, uh, I think it was in Connecticut, but he had a hell of a bar that Andre bought him. I think it was he up in the him. Boston area, wasn't it? He, he's in Massachusetts. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Yeah, Boston. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But uh, I mean, God, Andre loved him. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he loved Andre. I mean, he, he drove around. Uh, all the time. Yeah, we had uh, we had Tim on the on the podcast, and and uh, he you know talked uh, told us many stories about his travels with Andre, and uh -huh. uh, he was great in that documentary. I don't know if you saw the one on um, HBO had, but to this day, you know, he still feels it, it. You know, he got choked up thinking that you know Andre died there without him. You know, he said, I just wish uh -huh. I would have been there, you know, and God, that uh -huh. uh, just showed how much he loved that guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, that, that was one hell of a tag team, right? those two. Yeah. Well, I remember they used to, remember they had the van that had the big giant captain's chair. In the oh, back yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't yep. know how many miles they racked up because, you know, Andre got tired of flying anytime he could drive because, you know, God. Flying was just awful for him. Right. And you know what? He never would work double shots. Yeah. On weekends. Yeah. He goes, they had him book one time. I'll never forget this. And he goes, I'm, he told Vince, I'm not going, boss. Mm -hmm. He said, I don't do double shots. Yeah. He said, I work one, one time a day. One day at a time. But I tell you what. Andre grabbed me one time. We were doing a spot, and Andre grabbed me by the head to hold me in the corner. Mm -hmm. And the next day, I had two black eyes from the pressure <laughs> from him on my forehead. 
I would never forget that as long as I live either. Yeah. Do you ever take, you take and I go, bumps? Andre, look. Huh? They said, do you ever have to take uh, many bumps from, uh, from uh, Andre, uh, get back in you in the corner and. Oh yeah. I took the ass bump, the tail mm-hmm. bump or whatever you want to call it in the corner. Somebody hits him and he hits me, you know, but, yeah. but he grabbed me that night to hold me because I was doing a heat spot. And I'm going to tell you what, next day I go, Andre, look at my eyes. You. <laughs> No, boss, I didn't do that to you. I go, yeah, you did, too. Well, boss, I'm so sorry. And I played cribbage with him. And I go, damn, I need a good hand, Andre. And he get, he clapped his hand and said, okay, here's, here's, your, here's your good hand. And he clapped his hand, you know. Uh, he, I mean, he was awesome. I tell you what, one thing about him, if he likes you, he likes you. And if he yep. didn't, yeah. don't don't come around. No, no you didn't stand a chance. You know? You don't, oh, I remember don't, the first time. I remember Tim came. I remember Tim came up to me. I was in the locker room. He said, "You know, uh, Andre, Andre likes you." I'm like, "What? Really?" Because I and I think because I never ever, you know, I was just very respectful of him. If he wanted to chat, I loved it. But right. I didn't, you know. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's just the way it was. And I remember one time I came in. We we're at uh, one of the pay per views, and he had put a bottle. He had had Tim put a bottle of wine in my uh, my little locker area, and I just thought, <laughs> like, wow. That's pretty uh, awesome. Well, I, I wanted to save right. that thing forever. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if you if if you were a friend to Andre, yeah. I mean, if Andre was a friend to you, then you had a friend. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. he didn't. He either liked you or he didn't like you. Right. Period. That's the it. end. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, and and God knows, uh, I sat there and played curvies with him and have fun with him and everything. Once in a while, he would uh. They bring him a case of beer, and he goes, "This is for you, boss. Drink a beer." Yeah, <laughs> I said, "Okay, yeah. Andre." I yeah. I was scared not to drink it, but I went on to drink it. You know, but uh, God knows he was he he was he was one of a kind. Yeah, and you didn't want to have you didn't want to try and drink with him. That you were not going to win. No, that, that. not. Oh no, 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 no. A lot of, a lot of men tried. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, he could drink more in the dressing room. Yeah. And then still go to the bar, and if I drank that much, I, uh, I probably would have died. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, so yeah. anyway, Earl, in, in 2005, you left the, the WWE. Uh, what can you tell us about how it ended? Well, in all honesty, it was a big lie from day one, whatever. whatever I know what they said, mm-hmm. but it was a big lie. Uh, why would you risk a T-shirt? For two hundred thousand dollar job, yeah, for a fifteen dollar t shirt, and I was in partners with a guy in St. Louis, and we were buying the same merchandise from the same people that Vince was buying it from, uh-huh. and the jackets that we then some of the jackets that I had made, uh, like the agents wanted them because I had one made, and I wasn't selling them. I never sold the first leather jacket that the agents got. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I think Johnny had a hard on for my brother. And I was the scapegoat. And that was the reason. And then, but three months later, they called me back. And I go, no, I don't want to come back. Huh? And they said, well, uh, I'm not going to name the guy to call me, but I, he goes, uh, 
Vince McMahon says, if you come back, we'll put you in the Hall of Fame. I said, you tell Vince McMahon to take a Hall of Fame shove up his fucking ass. I hope you ain't recording this, but if you are, you can beep it out. That's how mad I was. Yeah, it hurt, it hurt that much? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, it hurt me more by hurting my brother than it did me. Uh-huh. That's why he's in the uh, health condition he is now, because he lived that business. Uh, and he was hurt bad. I mean, all the years that he would get up. If they call him tonight and say we need him with perfect parents tomorrow, he'd get up and package stuff and go. Mm-hmm. Not me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I never put all my eggs in one basket. He did. Mm-hmm. Well, Earl, I mean, was, it, it, it can't it can't be fixed. There isn't something that that they could do to that you because you certainly deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Nope. But don't uh, honestly uh, don't uh, I don't want it. Really? Nope. Wow. I do not want it. Even if I could get it or down the road, I, I still don't want it. I just don't want it. I don't mm. want nothing to do with Vince McMahon, Perry. You know, mm. I'm in the TNA Hall of Fame, so so that's good enough for me. I can live mm. with that. Were you were you tempted to get out of the business when after you left, or or did you just said I'm uh, I'm going to go somewhere else? No, well, I was going to get out of the business. And said, heck with it, come home and live like a normal person. And then Jeff Jarrett called me. And he called me, and I said, no, Jeff, I really don't want to do this crap anymore. He goes, no, listen to me. Come down and do my pay-per-view. I need you for my pay-per-view. I said, all right, I'll do the pay-per-view. Then I went down there, and once I stepped in the ring, it it was a rebound. I was back. (laughs) And then... And then, so I stayed there from 2005 to what, 2017, I think, until yeah. they went out of business. Yeah, that was, oh, oh, right. And then uh, I said, okay, that's it. I come home. I got a great job at a construction company. Uh, uh, got a company truck, benefits, drive to work, open the door, let them in, watch what's going on, and lock the door in the evenings. And then mm-hmm. Cody, uh, Cody called me. Wanted me to do a match in Chicago, the first pay per view, and I go, no, nah, I don't want to do in. that. Uh, yeah, call, I said, call Brian. Brian's working with Nick. It's been working with Nick because Brian's got a try. Brian's got a try. Got a contract with Ring of Honor and NWA mm-hmm. now. And I said, but this was back when he was traveling with Nick. And I go, no, he's usually doing his matches. I well, I told uh, another guy, his agent, I guess, or whatever he is. I said, I don't want to do it. Then Cody called me. He said, you don't understand. I need you for this. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. And then uh, I just did the one in Vegas. And, you know, I said, I'm doing all these pay-per-views. And uh, I'm not saying all TVs or some TVs. Yeah. You're still still able to do it, but uh, not with the uh, the demands that come with it on a full-time basis. Uh, yeah. But You know, uh, when Cody love- talks about you coming in for that match at All In, and uh, I was there uh, at that, uh, you know, that event. And he said you were so nervous. And I was thinking, God, all of the matches this guy has done, all of the superstars he stepped into the ring with, and and he was nervous for this one. And and was that true? And and why? Are you talking about the uh, double or nothing? No, with all in with the the Nick Aldis and, and Cody Rhodes. Oh, match. oh. Well, I. I... 
Well, I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't been in the ring for a while and this, that, and the other. But, you know, and I'm thinking main event and all this stuff. And, <laughs> but hell, hell, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm 70 years old. <laughs> well, yeah, but you still got it, Earl, really. And uh, you didn't well, let him down I'm this just year. Saying, but, uh, but now, this match, double or nothing, had me hyper. I was hyped up for this one, for this one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's it's like uh, you you feeling your old self again. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, and then working with 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 two brothers and thinking about their dad gave gave me the opportunity in my life. It it, wow. it was just uh, it's just uh, un, un, unbelievable. You know what I mean? Oh no! The emotion, uh, the emotions in that match were just incredible, and you could tell uh-huh. uh, as they built that thing. But uh, really, like you said, look how much look what was going on in that match. I mean, between the two brothers, uh, Dusty, um, you know, you're in there uh, as, as the third man. You're you've got connections to all of them, uh, you know, and, and Dusty. Uh, it, it just made right. for a great match. And, and when you were in the ring there and boy, there was a lot of juice. I don't know how it got. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, but, uh, you're to give me your perspective on that match because it was, it was something else. Well, it was, it was a great match and they had it all laid out and they wanted to take care of each other, which they did. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was like family to me in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I knew Cody when he was a baby. Yeah. You know, and I knew Dustin when he was a probably teenager or yeah. whatever you want yeah. to call it. You know, yeah. it was yeah. like, like, damn, I'm in here with two grown men now. And they were kids, you know, yeah. and the dad and Dusty, Dusty loved me to death. Mm-hmm. He he nicknamed me Baby Earl, Baby <laughs> Earl, Come here, Baby Earl, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, a guy knows, uh, like I told him, I told uh, Michelle a story. I said, uh, and all of them, I said, years ago, when I was going to Charlotte, your dad said, baby, are you riding me? He had this red four-wheel drive truck, and he pulled on the side of the road and stopped. And I go, Dusty, what are we doing? He said, watch this, baby. He put that thing in four-wheel drive and drove over all the signs, knocked them down like dominoes. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going, Dusty, what the hell are you doing? He goes, what do you think, baby Earl? I go, man, <laughs> you're too much. But, uh, Just having fun. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, man, I tell you. And, 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 you know, just doing that match, and Cody texted me and asked me, would you please do my, do this match? Uh, excuse me, for me and, me and Dustin, I said, sure, I will be. But, I, it, yeah. you know, it's, it was like, it was like uh, I feel part of the family. Yeah, full circle to, to those two guys. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And the young bucks, it, I love them to death. When yeah. when TNA got rid of them, I said I told Eric Bischoff, I said you're making a big mistake. He said, What do you mean? I said these kids are the new uh, Matt and Matt and Jeff Hardy couple right yeah. here, buddy. Yeah, and and with that, my girl. But with that in mind, you've gotten to see a lot over the years in, in these different organizations. Uh, what do you think about AEW and, and what they're doing and impacting the world of professional wrestling now? Well, I'll tell you what. 
they're a great company, okay, and there's there's competition now between WWE and them, okay, which makes it both makes it good for both companies. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think uh the way their AEW is going, uh it's something new. It's not like you're working for a company uh like WWE, you're in prison. Mm-hmm. Guys are more relaxed. Yeah. And when you're relaxed and you're happy, you can get more out of performance than you can if you think you're in jail. Yeah. I'll just say that. And yeah. even those Vince even those Vince assigning everybody that he runs into, uh it's like he's trying to keep good talent from going there. But if you stop and think about it, all the talent he's signed here lately uh are in uh a cellar. Yeah. They're out of sight and out of mind, and when he gets ready to use you, he's going to use you. But you're going to pay you, but you're going to be out of sight and out of mind, and you're going to be nothing when you get out of that because mm-hmm. nobody's going to remember you. And he's not going to let you work for nobody because he's paying you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you just wasted your time in, 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 in your talent by sitting in a cellar waiting for him to punch your number and call you in. Okay, see what you got. I mean, look, I think really, uh, look at people down there now that uh, assign good good workers, but they're not even being used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got a lot of great yeah. talent. There's no question. They got some right. great talent. Right. So, you know. Well, we both experienced, you know, being around these guys uh, with uh, AEW, and you're exactly right, Earl, when you say, uh, you know, they're having fun and they're uh, in control of their own destinies. And that's the thing. I just hope that it stays that way, you know, uh, that it doesn't become a corporation or they keep what they've got going now. I don't I, I don't know what the limit could possibly be. I mean, they've got a great TV deal and uh, right. they've got new talent to introduce to people. It's not like, you know, what we saw with WWE and w- WCW where just, you know, that whole group of talent went somewhere else. You've got these new guys right. coming up that, you know, they're well known, but nowhere near what the, they, they, they don't know anything about how, how well known they can become. And, uh, right. It's going to be fun to watch. Right. I'm, I'm, I mean, uh, in all honesty, the agents that they have, uh, Cody and the young bucks, yeah. uh, they're so laid back that, and they're willing to listen and, sacrifice of what you do like, what you don't like, instead of just throwing it in your lap and say, this is what I want, or I'll get the hell out. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And that's that's the way it's got to be worked. You know, and, and, and they're great about that. I mean, I tell you what, I'm there and I feel so relaxed. I don't feel pressured at all. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Period. I can talk to Cody. I can talk to the Young Bucks. I can talk talk to the agents that has my match. and And it's just you have the freedom to say what you want to say and what you think. And it's all put in perspective of, okay, I like this. I don't like that. We do this. We do that. That's a good idea. Well, let's try this. You have options instead mm-hmm. of just, this is what I want on a piece of paper. This is what I want. Do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, man, uh, it's really, really great uh, talking to you. Uh, this has been a really fun conversation. Earl, you were you were uh, and are the best. I mean, uh, I, I just remember back in the day, I just love watching you work. And you do. You took uh, you take the best bump, referee bump I've, I've ever seen. Nobody sells it uh, sells it like you do. And I really, it's it's I'm I, I'm I think it's awesome. You're back with uh, back in the ring with uh, AEW, and it's going to be fun to watch. Even though you know you come in, and it's going to be like the perfect situation for you. So uh, it's been it's been great. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me on your on your show, your podcast. Yeah. I, I appreciate it.